Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. Through these weekly sermons, I try to open up the scriptures in such a way that they can shine some light into the dark places of our lives. During this time of sickness, conflict, and natural disasters, we need to hear some good news. We need good news and spiritual encouragement no matter where we are in our individual faith lives and whether or not we identify with any particular religious tradition. I hope that you will find uh, something of value here. This week, we're going to hear an Old Testament story that most of us are familiar with, either through the Bible or having seen Andrew Lloyd Webber's popular musical Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Listen then to the story of Joseph and his coat of many colors. Now Israel, who was once called Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other of his children, because he was the son of his old age. And he had made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Once Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Listen to this dream that I dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright. Then your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and his words. One day Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from a distance, and before he became near to them, they conspired to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we shall say that wild animals have devoured him and see what shall become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he delivered him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but lay no hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it to us if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. And when some Midianite traders passed by, they drew Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty pieces of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. But Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes. He returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone. And I, where can I turn? Then they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They had the long robe with sleeves taken to their father, and they said, This we have found. See now whether it is your son's robe or not. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. A wild animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned his son for many days. 
Now, fast forward many years, Joseph rose from being a slave in Egypt to become an official in charge of Pharaoh's wealth. Because of a famine in their homeland, Joseph's brothers go to Egypt to help for help in order to save themselves and their people from starvation. Their father Jacob has died and now they're forced to approach Joseph for help. So the story continues. The brothers said, what if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong that we did him? So they approached Joseph saying, your father gave us this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong they did in harming you. Now, therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also wept, fell down before him and said, We are here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good, in order to preserve a numerous people, as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. In this way he assured them, speaking kindly to them. Here ends the reading. This is a story of some rather complicated uh, dynamics. Uh, complicated family dynamics. And speaking of family dynamics, I sometimes think that I come from one of the most messed up families in the world. I don't want to burden you with too much self-disclosure, but over the years, my extended family members have exhibited almost every kind of dysfunctional behavior that you could imagine. My family has seen marital problems, drug and alcohol abuse problems, kid problems, legal problems, some of them criminal, mental health problems, total financial disasters, and all manner of intra-family squabbles that result from all of this dysfunction. And by the way, I contribute my own dysfunction to the family mix. Yes, I think that I am part of the most messed up family in the world. That is, until I consider all the other families whose lives I've observed. I've learned in over 30 years of ministry and by being allowed into many people's personal lives that all families struggle. We're all dysfunctional. We're all messed up. Because of my experience, when I encounter that perfect family, I become suspicious that they, suspicious that they must be hiding something really sinister. I become something of a cynic of family life. My point is that families and personal relationships are complicated. Life is complicated. Life is messy and has been ever since Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. God's family is a wreck. If it's any consolation, most of the prominent characters in the story of God's people in the Bible are messed up. Take Abraham, for example, the great patriarch. He was no saint. A couple of generations later, the father in today's story, Jacob, was a crook who cheated his brother Esau out of his inheritance. Jacob's name is changed to Israel, and he becomes the namesake of God's chosen people, this crook. The rotten apples didn't far from, fall far from Jacob's tree. 
His sons in this story exhibit lethal sibling rivalries. Because Jacob pampers his youngest son Joseph, his brothers hate him and plot to kill him. The story says several times they hated Joseph. They hated him so much they couldn't even talk peaceably to him. As the modern philosopher Miley Cyrus once said, haters gonna hate, hate, hate. To be fair, it didn't help that Joseph was a bit full of himself. He has dreams that one day his brothers will bow down before him. And he brags to them about this dream. See, that totally goes against the tradition of the oldest son would be the one to succeed his father as the head of the family. Only because two of his brothers, Reuben and Judah, intervened on Joseph's behalf is his life spared. But still, he ends up being sold off into slavery in Egypt. His brothers, models of virtue that they are, tell their father that Joseph was killed by wild animals. And of course, Jacob is grief-stricken, thinking his favorite son is dead. Well, Joseph is smart and lucky. He wheedles himself into a position of power in Egypt and is put in charge of Pharaoh's wealth. Joseph's brothers, not so lucky. They end up having to flee to Egypt because of a famine in their own land. They have to throw themselves upon the mercy of the brother who they tried to murder. Even then, they continue in their deceit. Because they're afraid that Joseph will seek revenge for what they had done, they lie and tell him that their father's dying wish was that Joseph would forgive them. Much to their surprise, Joseph is overjoyed to see them, and he would have forgiven them anyway. He takes them in and supports them and their families. Joseph, you see, has this unshakable, some would say naive, faith that God has used their evil to accomplish a good. You see, our families aren't so bad after all. We're just like the members of the families of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. We are liars and cheats. We are haters and schemers. We are thieves and murderers. In a word, we are sinners. This is pretty shocking. This is a part of our core identity. I bet you didn't expect to hear that God's family is worse than yours and even worse than mine. As the Apostle Paul puts it so directly, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's who we are. But like I said in the beginning, it's more complicated than that. As Martin Luther put it, we are both saint and sinner at the same time. Not only do our families contain saints and sinners, the saint and sinner dwells in each and every one of us at the same time. At the end of our story today, we encounter the saintly side of Joseph. Despite having every reason to refuse to help his brothers, or be perhaps even using his power to have them imprisoned or put to death, he welcomes them with open arms and forgives them. He forgives them unconditionally. He seems to have forgotten what's happened in the past. If haters gonna hate, 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 I guess lovers gonna love, 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 no matter what. From where does Joseph draw this capacity for love and forgiveness? Well, from his faith in God. 
Joseph knew a God who was first loving and forgiving. I assume that Joseph would have learned about God through the traditions that were passed down to him from his ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and his own father, Jacob, and kind of a primitive Hebrew school. Those teachings were reinforced, though, through his life experiences. He had experienced extreme ups and downs in life, from the gifts given him by a doting father, to being sold into slavery, to becoming a trusted servant in Egypt, to falling out of favor and then regaining favor and becoming a high-ranking official. In all these things, Joseph discerned the hand of a powerful, loving God behind everything that happened, good and bad. Although life was complicated, its trajectory inevitably aimed upward toward life. I doubt that I will get much argument when I say that life has never been more complicated than it is today, at least in our brief tenure on this earth. In several sermons recently, I recited the litany of woes facing us. Pandemic, global climate change, racism, civil unrest, hate-filled political divisions, hurricanes, firestorms in California and Oregon, etc., etc. I've talked about these things so much lately that I know I must sound like a broken record. Now, if you grew up with iPods, ask your parents what it means to sound like a broken record. I can't help it, though. In my preaching, teaching, writing, and even casual conversation with family and friends, there's a gravitational force relentlessly drawing us back to these signs of brokenness in humanity and in nature. The stress called by all of these catastrophic events of daily life are beginning to take their toll on us, our families, and our country. Fault lines are beginning to appear and threaten to open up into chasms that will swallow us whole. A young man contacted me this week and said that he's heartbroken, that's his word, heartbroken, by all of the divisions he sees around him, evidenced by a toxic political rants on Facebook, arguments about COVID, and even arguments about wearing face masks. See, he's tuned into that broken side of the human family, the sinful side. And he longs to see the saintly side in himself, in his family and friends, and in his country. So do I. I bet you do too. In America today, we are divided by the many ways we identify ourselves. One of the most apparent sources of our identity right now is as Republican or Democrat. It's because it's an election year. We even put signs in our yards so that others can identify us and with us. Many of us see ourselves as liberals and some as conservatives, socialists, others capitalists. And that often aligns with our political identity, but not always. We sort ourselves out as Black Lives Matter people or Blue Lives Matter people, or maybe the third category, all lives matter. Some of us associate ourselves with others who warn of our role in climate change. Others are climate change deniers. Some of us focus on the right to peaceful protest, while others the emphasis on the necessity to control rioters and to preserve law and order. And yes, 
Some see wearing face masks as a sign of social responsibility, while some view wearing face masks as a sign of excess government interference and an intrusion into our personal lives. All of these issues are examples of our diverse ways of living our lives. We are a nation based on diversity. Like I said, life is messy. Our government has functioned for two centuries with a two-party system, and it's always been contentious. About half of us are predisposed to more conservative opinions, while the other half identify as more liberal. It's also part of who we are as a people that we hold strong opinions and that we stand up and speak out for what we believe. It's foundational that we vote for those who will be best represent our beliefs and our values. That's the way a democratic system is supposed to work. But the problems come when we adopt these superficial facets of our lives, these divisions, and they are superficial, as our core identity. Now, the word core is related to the French word cœur, or heart, for who we are at heart. We think that who we are is based on how we respond to these issues. The problem comes when we assume that we are in ultimate control of our lives. The problems come when we hate and even try to kill those who identi whose identity differs from ours. We are quick, quick to claim the credit when things go well. We are quicker to cast the blame when things go badly. Our core identity, as in the case of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, is really that we are children of God. As the children of God, we know that we are part of a dysfunctional family. We are descendants of Adam and Eve, our ultimate ancestors, who got kicked out of the Garden of Eden for their sin. We know that, as Paul said, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Paul goes on to say, we are now justified, made right by his grace as a gift. God loves us, though we are sinners, and sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us. Our core identity, who we are, is saint-slash-sinner. Our core identity is a messed up, yet forgiven people. Our core identity is forgiven children of a loving God. Now that's who we really are at heart. It is up to us to pick up that identity and live into it. We can emulate Joseph, who forgave his hateful brothers and reconciled with them. He loved, loved, loved them, despite whatever. Joseph was not cynical about family life. He was the ultimate optimist. He saw all of the disasters of his life in the context of God's faithfulness. And he didn't give up on God, ever. And he didn't give up on his brothers. And eventually, the story of this messed up family comes to a happy end. Yes, we live in trying times. But here's the question. 
Can we see our loving God guiding us through these times? Can we see our hardships leading us to an ever brighter future? A future brighter than we've ever known before? Does our identity as members of God's complicated family empower us to work together? Does our identity as a nation under God, though it sometimes acts like a dysfunctional family, inspire us toward reconciliation and unity? It's time to look into our hearts at our core. Do we hate, hate, hate? Or do we love, love, love? Are we suspicious? Or are we trusting? This weekend, I'm going over to my hometown in Iowa for a memorial service for my older sister, who died a few months ago. I will attend a gathering of many of the members of my family that I talked about earlier, masked and socially distanced, well, at least some of us, and it will be a messy, noisy affair. But I wouldn't miss it for the world. They're my family. I love them. Amen. Thank you for joining me this week. I hope that you'll come back again. May you feel the love and acceptance of God at work in your life. May God sustain you and your family through these difficult times and give you peace. <laughs>